Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome again. Uh, excited to have you all logged in. And even for those of you that watch at a later time, that's great. I'm glad you're uh, joining us. And if you're new and you've never, you know, met any of us, it's kind of a strange time. You know, we get to meet each other via the internet before anything else, right? But um, if you are new and you uh, have watched this for the first time or first couple times and we've never connected, please email me. I'd love to hear from you. My name is Jason. So it's jason at 68.org is my email address. Uh, also, if you're not getting the updates, all the emails and things like that, uh, email admin at 68.org and uh, someone will place you in the system and you can get all the updates that you need. <clears throat> uh, I want to say that live services are resuming September 13th at 9.30 a.m. at the church building, 1116 uh, Lancaster Avenue in Bryn Mawr. And uh, we will also continue live streaming. Uh, for those of you who uh, aren't comfortable yet rejoining in a, in a gathering space, that's okay. Uh, but uh, from now up until then, every Sunday we're going to have like a little lunch fellowship after church from 1130 till about 2 uh, at, at one of two houses probably. And uh, uh, let's see, today it's going to be at my house. That's 214 Lippincott Avenue in Ardmore. Uh, rain or shine, bring your own lunch. There's a grill available. Uh, it is raining, by the way. <laughs> uh, we have paper products and plasticware and all that kind of stuff. Uh, feel free to bring something to share if you'd like, a drink or or food. And uh, I don't think today you'll need a lawn chair because I don't think we would be outside. We're probably going to be inside. Uh, but it's just a time to hang out and talk and see people and catch up and things like that. So 214 Lippincott Avenue in Ardmore. And I, we uh, come early. If you have to, it doesn't matter. We're, we're here. Um, also, uh, generosity in giving, sort of if you need to know how to tithe, right? Um, there's a couple things I want to highlight. We are moving to using Breeze as our online giving portal for reoccurring gifts. So if you're still giving through Simple Give, please go on the, the giving page and look for the directions to move everything over to Breeze. If you haven't considered doing a reoccurring gift, uh, it's really helpful. It, it helps us to plan better and stuff like that. So uh, consider that anyway. But there's other things on the website there too, the giving page. Uh, there's a text to give option. There's Venmo. You can give through Venmo. There's also, you can send a check to the church, 1116 Lancaster Avenue in Bryn Mawr, 19010. And we'll get that into the bank. But today I want to remind you that we work alongside with a couple of uh, different organizations in um, in the Lebanon area where, you know, specifically in Beirut that just had that explosion go off, uh, it's like a week ago, right? Um, but you can go to ananiashouse.org, ananiashouse.org, and you can follow the links if you would like to help in a financial gift to them. Uh, they kind of outlined that, you know, you can help by, you know, you know, one church, one home, one family at a time. Uh, any financial gift w- would help, but you know, um, hot meals like food supplies that you know, three dollars uh, would feed one person for a day or something like that. Um, Ten thousand uh, dollars would would reestablish some of the churches, like one church that has been co- sort of a you know 
damaged heavily and things like that, or a home repair, $2,000 for, for a family for their, for their home being repaired. It's a lot of damage over there. And I, and I met with, um, with John Samara this week, we had lunch actually yesterday and talked a lot about the work that they're doing there and they're sending food over and everything else. And it is really hard work. People are uh, scrambling to really get that stuff done. They're, they're exhausted. You can also uh, go to horizons, horizonsinternational.org and they are the second uh, group that we partner with there. And, and horizons and Ananias house work together on a lot of things as well too. Um, so, AnaniasHouse.org or HorizonsInternational.org, either one of those you can, or both, if you'd like to give a financial gift. They're, they're both doing a lot of work right now in those areas. Um, okay, let me pray before we get into this sermon. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that your spirit is here and alive and well and uh, thumping within our hearts. And uh, we thank you for all that you've blessed us with, beginning with your word into the special, uh, unique blessings we experience in our lives. Uh, we even uh, thank you for the blessing of this time where we've been pulled back and had to think a lot about what it means to be a Christian in this world right now, walking this out um, in the middle of this whole pandemic thing. And we pray that you would continually open our hearts and our ears and our eyes to be led by you and that we would be obedient to follow uh, you right into even to the darkest of places to bring light there. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are here. So we ask that you would uh, break open your word, just crack it open for us, help us to be nourished by it, uh, feed us uh, with it and, and help us to be changed and transformed by it this morning. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. I have to give credit where credit is due. I have to give credit to Eric Mason. I, I I've met Eric a couple times. I, he may not remember me, but I remember him. He's a, a black pastor in Philadelphia and I have to thank him for the general direction and flow and, and even some of the content of this sermon. I, I identify him as a black pastor because it's significant to this conversation because as such, I wanted to hear what he had to say on all these like current social uh, issues. And I really loved what I, what I heard from him. So I, I listened to one of his sermons and I really liked it. Anyway, we've been talking about addressing these difficult race and equality issues from within a biblical worldview with Jesus at the center, not putting, putting people uh, in the position uh, a victim or on the defensive, but rather giving an, uh, everybody an equal voice in the discourse of human interaction and how we regard each other, right? Now, I, we, we've pointed out that evil would pit people against one another, seeking revenge and subjugation, bringing further separation. If you remember and you've been listening to these sermons, we addressed critical theory or critical race theory and intersectionality, those those things that are governing a lot of the thinking out there right now and how we said that that is absolutely unbiblical and we cannot adopt those things through a Christian worldview. It just doesn't work. Uh, now, I want to point out that I preached on that a few weeks back and Tim Keller just came out with an, an article on the, the same thing. Um, so I preached on it before Tim. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, well, anyway, uh, no, he's probably preached on it. I don't know. But it was, uh, it was confirming to have, you know, a voice like Tim Keller to say some of the same things about this stuff. So anyway, but 
Christ is about true biblical justice, you know, where mercy and fairness reign in breaking down walls of division through forgiveness and mercy and biblical justice and understanding where we treat everyone equitably, right? You know, and I believe, and I'm not, I don't even just believe this intellectually, like logically, um, I, I believe it in my heart. I'm starting to feel it in my spirit or sense it in my spirit that this is a new day for sure and that God is doing something great despite all the division and the vitriol that is, is expressed in our society. I think God is up to something and uh, he's shaking the tree, right? And we have things to learn, all of us do. And we have changes to make in how we regard other people and how we operate in relationships with other people. You know, we can't court compromise through alignment with divisive anti-Christian movements. But that in no way means that we're not about biblical justice. It, It doesn't mean that we can't engage with people that we disagree with either. It just requires wisdom and love and mercy to do so without compromise. So our central purpose isn't to solve all the social ills out there. We, you know, that would be beyond us, right? But it is to speak the gospel, to speak the gospel into society through bold words and loving action. In other words, like we talked about last week, to be salt and light in a dark and tasteless world, right? And it really feels like that these days. You know, the church has always learned in similar difficult situations. For instance, in Acts chapter 6, the Hellenistic non-Jewish peoples among the early early believers were being neglected due to favoritism in their in their faith community, right? And the church listened to each other, and they maturely made adjust, adjustments and uh, understanding that we sometimes operate out of blindness, or uh, but without nefarious intention, right? And where we we have wrong intentions, where we find them, uh, where they're apparent, we do confront. The church does confront each other, and we, we call for repentance, and we call for transformation, right? And that happened in the early church. In Galatians chapter 2, if you remember, Paul confronted Peter, uh, you know, the rock of the church, right, as he noticed him to pull away from the Gentiles when the Jews were present. He was treating Gentiles differently when Jews were around. And Paul confronted him directly with a plea from Scripture. Peter changed. Amen to that, right? Uh, thirdly, Jesus gave the disciples a lesson in John chapter 4, if you remember that, by interacting openly with this uh, Samaritan woman at a well. He was demolishing long-standing feelings of racism or animosity that the disciples may have held towards Samaritans and women, right? I will drink this water eventually. And then fourthly, uh, Paul and Barnabas, if you remember, also came into sharp dispute with the Council of Jerusalem, where the leaders were unfairly putting unrealistic burdens on Gentile believers. And, And in all these instances, changes were made where they needed to be made as issues were challenged by Scripture through a Christian worldview, right? Now, as in past instances, you know, we know that some whites have either been ignorant to or disregarded the, the minority plight in this country. And However, when issues are made clear, Christians can and often do address them well through a biblical worldview. Likewise, non-whites confronted with the, the truth of Scripture as it pertains to all peoples would also, I think, embrace unity with, the, with those that are different 
from them in Christ. People tend to be really mature when they're growing in Jesus, right? You know, and I am very confident that the church will do well through all of this stuff. I really am, since the Spirit of God resides in her, right? We are pregnant with the Spirit of God in the church, right? Admittedly, the issues are complicated, and change often happens slowly, but it does happen, and that's the important thing. And anything solid usually happens slowly. It's not a flash in the pan kind of a thing, right? You know, someone once said, or recently said, uh, hurt people cry and really hurt people scream. Hurt people cry and really hurt people scream. So it's the job of the church to listen and to adjust when necessary to the pains in society with Christ at the center of our message and practice. Now, that is the kicker statement right there. Christ at the center of our worldview, right? So let's go to scripture for guidance. You're going to be happy today. It's one verse, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. If you want to open up your Bible, it's probably around two-thirds of the way through. Matthew's the first gospel in the list of gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the first one. So Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, if you want to turn there. Uh, and this is what it says. Uh, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Now, if you don't know what a scribe and a Pharisee is, these are the leaders, the religious leaders uh, of Judaism at the time, right? So he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be called a hypocrite. Being called a hypocrite is not a good thing, right? It doesn't feel good. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a mark of honor at all, you know, things like that. So he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin. These are spices, right? Mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Mint, dill, cumin, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, right? Three and three. The, and then he finishes. He says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others, Right? These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, I, I know that whenever you hear the word woe in Scripture, right? Woe, right? That's, that's, not, that's probably not a great word to be hearing from Jesus, right? Whenever you hear that word in Scripture, it's both a warning and an invitation towards repentance, a warning and an invitation towards repentance. It's identifying some deviance from God's standard where change needs to happen both outwardly in how we are operating, you know, in practice, and inwardly in the attitudes of our hearts, right? So Jesus is comparing, if you think about this, Jesus is comparing the commitment these men had to the light natural material outworking of religion to the more weighty sort of spiritual, immature, or, or immaterial issues which reflect the heart of God to all peoples, right? So he, he probably has in mind Micah 6.8 as he says these words in Matthew 23. Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, right? Our verse for our church. <clears throat> Excuse me. But think about it. Mint, dill, and cumin are, are spices. They're light spices. They're the lightest, smallest thing one could tithe, right? They're the lightest, smallest thing one could tithe. And he's saying, you look spiritually heavy when you practice all the outward sort of practices of religion down to the very small, light tithe of spice, right? 
Outwardly, you look really spiritually heavy, paying attention to the minute physical details of religion. But you're not practicing the weightier immaterial issues of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You look religiously heavy, but you are spiritually light, right? And it's not that you shouldn't practice tithing of these natural things. Jesus is not cutting that out. You should be doing both. So they're following the outward practices down to the minutia of very light things, but in the heavier weightier issues which govern human relationships and equality and justice, they were being very light, if at all. You know what I mean? They Maybe they weren't practicing them at all. Now, understand this. The outward things are important. The outward things are important. They should be done. And they can be done uh, in a meaningful way but only if your heart is in the right place in doing them, right? In Isaiah chapter 1, God says to Israel that he has no use for their outward offerings when their hearts are not in the right place. He says this, he says, your hands are full of blood, wash and make yourselves clean, take your evil deeds out of my sight, stop doing wrong, learn to do right, Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. So it's, you know, work for those that don't have a voice, work for those that can't, you know, they're, they're vulnerable, they're weaker, they, they don't have a place, you know, they, they are not in a position of power in some ways. And so he says, work for these things, work for these peoples, you know. Now, let me say that it is very possible to do the outward things without the inward things. But it's not, uh, it's impossible to do the inward things without having it meaningfully bleed out into our outward actions, right? You can do the, you can do the outward things without it having an effect the the inward thing at all, right? But the outward thing cannot be done without meaning if the inward heart is in the right place, right? You know, a good tree is known by its good fruit, right? You know, the inward things are who you are and who you're becoming to be, right? If your heart's in the right place with Jesus, your actions are naturally just and merciful. You naturally care. If your heart's not in right with Jesus, you can do all the little outward religiosity things, right? And hopefully fooling everybody around you that you're some big spiritual giant, but Jesus knows you. And Jesus calls you on it. He doesn't let us get away with this stuff, does he? You know, we've learned in past sermons that Israel, from the very beginning, was to be a light to all the peoples of the world, all nations, right? We've, we've followed that call from, you know, the first book in, in the Bible, the, the book of Genesis, all the way to the last book, the book of Revelation, and everything in between, talking about how we are to be a light to all the nations of the world, bringing God, the gospel of God to to every people group, every ethnic group. You know, regarding all peoples as fellow creatures of God, and as such, they have intrinsic value, and we are to bring this, this light of salvation to all of them. Now, understand that the prohibitions in the Old Testament against taking on the pagan practices of surrounding nations to Israel wasn't a prohibition of, of, uh, of interaction or even a call to complete separation. 
you know, physical separation. Rather, it was a call to purity in walking in the ways of God by bringing the light of the gospel or the light of his word to others while we walk among them, right? God is just and merciful. God is just and merciful. And his people are to be the same in attitude and in practice. You know, beginning internally with each other in our community, right? Followed with how we treat others outside of the faith. You know, it's these inner, weightier, godly characteristics which people seek and respond to because they are true light and salt to them. Everybody longs for this stuff, even though they don't understand that they can get it in Jesus. You know, in recent discussions with pastors, whenever you get in the <clears throat> Excuse me. You're like heartburn. Um, whenever you get into a room with a bunch of pastors, <clears throat> uh, the, one of the questions is always how multi-ethnic or how multi-cultural uh, your church is. And i got to say very clearly, our goal as a local church isn't to be multi-ethnic or multicultural. Not that we wouldn't love to be, Right. But that's not our central goal. When, when, that, when that becomes the goal, then we are focused on the outward religiosity of church. Not every church can be multi-ethnic given their geography, right? And even when they are, it doesn't mean that they've actually addressed the weightier issues of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Going to a multi-ethnic church may be your light tithe of spice, making you look good on the outside, but the inside goes unchanged, right? You know, Eric Mason says his church in Philly is multi-ethnic on Sunday mornings, but not during the week. That people like to say that they go to his church because it's multi-ethnic. But in reality, the deeper issues which separate them still have not been addressed, and it's seen in how segregated they are during the week. You know, it's easy for us to do the outward things. It's really easy to do the outward things. Write a check, show up to church on Sunday, worship alongside others, go to a Bible study, and all of those things, Jesus says, should be done. But we cannot neglect the deeper issues which divide. And that work begins, firstly, in our own hearts as we're confronted and convicted by God's word. It's easy to voice, you know, out loud that we love all peoples equally. But how is that playing out in our lives? What does it look like in my internal attitudes and my outward expression of it? And let me, let me ask you a question, and I think this is an important question. Who's really challenging us in these things? Who is really challenging us in these things? Is it some young student on the on a street corner screaming with a placard or something like that? Is that who's really challenging us? Or is it God himself? Think about that. Is it God himself? Because remember, this is God-authored stuff. He embodies justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He called us to this, you know, long before anybody else was out there screaming about it on the street corner. And his justice is merciful and pure and full of forgiveness and not at all bitter. 
It's a different and much harder thing to address the issues of injustice or lack of mercy or lack of faithfulness uh, to God's heart in these matters. It's, it's difficult to engage in discipleship relationships with others uh, where everyone is treated equally and listened to and adjustments are made for the health of the whole body. It's easy to go on a march. And maybe you should go on a march. I'm not saying don't go on a march. But it's easy to go on a march. It's much more difficult to actually walk into a neighborhood or walk into your church and, and befriend someone different than you, right, and engage in relationship and ministry together and, and do life together. It takes sacrifice and forgiveness. It, it takes being known and knowing others. You know, leaders have always been expected to lead in these things and embracing them in the most intimate ways, right? And I I hope that I am, and I hope that I'm also growing in it. But these guys here in this passage, in this one verse, these these guys were acting like something was present in them, which actually really wasn't present in them. And Jesus says, you bunch of hypocrites. (laughs) You know, the word hypocrite at its root is derived from the concept of being an actor, right? The words that are connected with it are words words like deceiver and imposter and pretender and things like that. In British slang, a hypocrite is, is called a creeping Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? I love that. <laughs> it's, one, it's like my favorite one, right? Because it takes the good name of Jesus and it makes it awkward and uncomfortable, revealing the exact opposite character of Christ, something some, someone trying to look like Jesus, but, you know, they're just being really creepy. They're not really being Jesus, you know, and we are willingly deceived by actors. They act as if something is on this, you know, on stage. They act as if something's happening that isn't really happening, right? So they're, they're just telling a story. And that is obviously great in the realm of entertainment, but in the governance of human relationships, Relationships, and especially in the life of the church, we are where we're to reflect God's heart. Hypocrisy and play acting are anything; they are they are damaging. They're hurtful, to say the least. You know, I can't just say I love all peoples. I can't act that way equally, right? Without actually loving them equally, Jesus doesn't allow me to get away doing that. With doing that, right? Because it's pretending we're committed when we're not really committed. It's saying we're not racist without actually caring about the suffering of those that are different than us. It's closing our ears to the crying and the screaming, especially when it seems like a personal attack on me. But we need to take the higher road of forgiveness and going to the cross daily for others and treating each other equally. The church needs to grow confident in its prophetic voice. Confident in its prophetic voice. We, you know, people are beating up the church all the time. It's not a time, it's not a time to, for us Christians to talk badly about the church. It's, there's nothing noble about that. The church is the, where God resides on earth. We, you know, he, he embodies, we are, we are, we are filled with his spirit. We're filled with his word as the church and we are trying our best. I, you know, none of you out there has any bad intention, I think. You know, but we need to grow in this confidence in our prophetic voice, speaking and living the gospel out in society in bold, practical ways, voicing and living biblical truth, which addresses our current social ills. 
which takes a very deep commitment on our part, and it isn't always easy. So we've been making statements in a lot of these sermons. I think there was only one sermon where we didn't make a a definitive statement, but here's a good statement for today. We acknowledge racial tensions within the church on this side of eternity may likely continue until Christ returns to perfect us. I mean, this is an ongoing process, right? Nonetheless, as modeled in Acts 6, we resolve to actively listen to the broad outcry coming from our minority brethren's complaints of neglect and racial injustice. Rather than seeking to dismiss those concerns, we choose empathy, seeking solutions together that address them and promote unity. And this often requires us to study and better understand our own history and culture and how each may contribute to present racial tensions. Good statement, right? You remember we heard last week that we've been declared by Jesus as the light of the world because he is the light of the world and he is in the church, right? So he declares us as the light of the world and light shines in the darkness and things seem really dark right now, don't they? (laughs) Right? And to shine well, putting our light up on a, you know, on a stand to benefit everybody else that comes into its, its, you know, its influence, we must become and remain close to Jesus. That's, that's our big job. It's just to stay close to Jesus. Understanding what he's called us to in scripture, making adjustments where we're not living it out in complete commitment, being obedient to Christ. It means unity within the church, which we've been speaking about for weeks now. So what does being unified in Jesus look like for the church, as urged in Ephesians 4, 3 through 6, where it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. I mean, every effort, that's that's strong wording, right? To keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know, what does it look like to allow Jesus to break down the, the dividing walls of hostility, making us one, as it, as it states in Ephesians chapter 2? You can go read that later. But these aren't easy conversations or solutions. You know, individual Christians may have different specific callings and convictions in this work of racial reconciliation. God may call you to engage society in certain ways differently than your brother or sister in Christ, but it doesn't mean your brother and sister in Christ isn't doing the same sort of work. But we should all be unified under Christ that justice and mercy and faithfulness and the gospel message, the whole gospel message, are the things that we pursue in the church no matter what. And in doing so, we become brighter light to the world, where the world could actually point to us and say, they are practicing justice and mercy and humility. What do they have that we don't? And the answer is obviously simply Jesus, just Christ. You know, TJ, who's going to speak here in a couple of weeks uh, at the end of September, uh, TJ, who you know runs Humankind, Humankind Water, um, that whole thing where we buy drinks from at the church, he reminded me that the pH scale runs from 0 to 14. One On one end, it's very, you know, that one extreme is very acidic. On the other 
and it's, it's alkaline, right? And with that center balance being at seven, neutrality at seven. And the only thing that you can add, and I thought this was a really interesting point, the only thing that you can add to either side when they're in the extremes is pure water to bring them back to center, to center balance. So if something's too alkaline, you add pure water and it brings it back. If something's too acidic, you add pure water and it brings it back to the center. Now that's Jesus and that's, 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 that's the church in the world, right? That's what he says about us. No matter what extreme people fall within, add Jesus, the living water of life, since he's the only one who can bring us back to balance or neutrality. Jesus has created us to be his representatives in all these social relationships that we find ourselves involved in. We are the light and salt and pure water added to these situations, which bring people back to center. So we preserve and we make things better and we shed light on evil intentions and practices which seek to destroy and block the life of Christ in others and in us as well. But let me say that being in Jesus, <laughs> being a Christian, is in essence confrontational. This, this relationship that I have with Jesus is in essence confrontational. You know, before we go out and confront the world, and I don't mean like confront, like, uh, but confront in love, you know, in a healthy, mature way. Before we go out and confront the world, Jesus confronts our heart with all of its idols and misconceptions and secret sinful attitudes, right? You know, confrontations at the center of the relationship. So you as a member of the body of Christ will be confronted in your thinking of others by Jesus first. And also in the act of discipleship and witness out there in the world, where you inject yourself into the ills of the world, it'll not be always easy, right? It'll be messy. It'll be difficult at times. It'll be complicated. Notice how much you wrestle personally with the Holy Spirit, you know, in your life, you know, even being a Christian, knowing the scriptures and things, you wrestle with him, right? So expect that to be even more intense with those who you who don't yet have the Holy Spirit, right? Because people wrestle in the light as their sin is exposed until until in time, soothing repentance makes us to lay down our guard and we allow Jesus to do his work in our hearts. These things Jesus points out in Matthew 23, verse 23, are the glasses with which we put on to look at everything and everyone with a Christian worldview. They are reflective of the heart of Christ. You know, as Jesus said in John chapter 5, 39 and 40, he says, you're, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Well, these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So scripture reflects Jesus. Scripture reflects Jesus. Oh, gosh, you got an itchy nose. When we read verses like Micah, Micah 6, 8, that means that we are confronted to think in new ways, and to adjust ourselves to reflect justice and mercy and humility well, to be like Christ. 
Justice, let me say this, this is really important. Justice is to utilize God's word equitably among all peoples. It's not to play favorites, and it's to extend equal opportunity and dignity to all and value to all. It's judging rightly in all situations, right? You remembered in John chapter 8, uh, the story of the woman to be stoned for adultery. They weren't, those guys that were about to stone this woman to death, right, weren't judging rightly since they were doing the same things. They just hadn't gotten caught yet. Jesus calls them on it. And then he says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. They were unjust and unmerciful. They were actors playing religion, but not reflecting the heart of God. So, White, black, brown, whatever we are, we cannot condemn whole other groups of people since we certainly do not know every single person in those groups or, 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 or even subgroups within them or anything like that. That would not be judging rightly. Just because we see some negative things in one group, we can't judge everybody in that group by that one thing. That's not how it works. You know, Eric Mason pointed out that the issues in the black culture are very real. He said at one point the Philadelphia school district had laid off about 2,500 people. They closed a bunch of schools. They dropped the education budget down like $410,000. And then, but they raised the prison budget by like a half a billion dollars. And the largest population affected by this were black kids. 81% were were affected, uh, were black kids. So his church partnered with Temple, and they got new materials, computers, and things like that, and they started this program to teach other skills to kids that were affected by this. But at the core of his desire as pastor was to share the gospel through these endeavors. And they even have many Muslim families who send their kids to these programs, and apparently they don't care that their kids hear about Jesus as long as they're off the street. We had the same experience in Indonesia. They, the Muslims could not care as long as we were educating and caring for their children, children where they would, they would love they would invite us to share Christ with them as long as, you know, we were, we were blessing them in those ways. That was great. You know, that's being light. That's practicing Titus 3.14, which says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. You know, we often revert to being law keepers when we, when, when we see issues around us or when we feel the pressure of the world around us. We become law keepers. We become Pharisees, just doing the right outward things and measuring everyone else against the law, right? But the term mercy is intimately tied with the Ark of the Covenant, where the law was kept. Remember that? And when you look at it, there's the Ark, this box, right? With the, with the law inside of it, and then the cherubim over top of it with their wings covering over it, right? Covering over the, the, um, overshadowing the mercy seat. And, and that is the seat which the Shekinah glory of God sits, right? Now think about that picture. God sits on the mercy seat over top of the law. In other words, he responds to you with mercy, in spite of the fact that you fall short of being perfect, perfect uh, measured against his law. And then he calls us 
as his people to reflect this character in the same way to the world around us, right? Which means that our lead foot is mercy, (laughs) right? Our lead foot is mercy, mercy and justice as it pertains to Jesus, his sacrifice being the filter to which we view all the peoples of the world, no matter what they do to us. Second Corinthians verse 11, uh, 13 verse 11 says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So I urge you today to be prayerful in light of our current cultural status, like what's going on out there. Examine your own heart before the Lord, measured against the standard of his law, but also couched in the mercy of the cross. You know, avoid the temptation towards condemnation that the evil one would bring to you, but rather rest in the righteousness of that Christ has laid upon your life. You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is come, Right? You are right with God in Christ, but you are also being sanctified in Christ as well. You're being transformed over time. So where do you need to adjust? Where do you need to practice the inward things as well as the outward things of your relationship with Jesus? Where are you heavy? Where are you light? And pray for unity in these things as a church. How can we learn more so to devote ourselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and live productive lives, like Titus chapter 3 says. Because, I want to read that statement again, we acknowledge racial tensions within the church on this side of eternity may likely continue until Christ returns to perfect us. Nonetheless, as modeled modeled in Acts chapter 6, we resolved to actively listen to the broad outcry coming from our minority brethren's complaints of neglect and racial injustice. And rather than seeking to dismiss those concerns, we choose empathy, seeking solutions together to address them and promote unity. And this often requires us to study and to better understand our own history and culture and how each may contribute to present racial tensions. We want to be responsible. We want to be agents of change. We want to be people that walk well with Jesus and uh, reflect his heart to all peoples of the world together. But we don't want to compromise uh, our values and our beliefs in Christ as we do that. So this is hard work. (laughs) And you can do it. God is in you for that very purpose. He has created you for this moment. And I encourage you in that. So let me pray us out of this. Father, we thank you that your word is so completely applicable to our lives at all times. And we know that there are certain cultural moments in history that are more difficult to live this out than others. And this seems like it's getting to be one of them. So we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen your church, that you would you would fill us with your word, fill us with your heart, fill us with your passion, and that you would allow us to be uh, totally given over to you, just close to you, uh, intimate with you, so that that pours out of us in the world around us in our relationships with others. We thank you, Lord Jesus. 
We'll give you all the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week. And uh, uh, if I don't see you here today, remember, you're allowed, you'd love, we'd love to have you over today. Uh, 214 Lippincott Avenue in Ardmore. Um, it's a one-block street between County Line and uh, Spring Avenue, right where the little township building is. So um, come on over 1130 to 2 and hang out and bring your own lunch and enjoy some fellowship. Amen. See you guys soon.